Welcome into Buccaneers Insider Live, presented by Miller Lite, Casey Phillips, and Scott Smith here. And this is where we take all of your questions. So send those our way over here on the Facebook page where I think you're watching now under that live video. That's where you can comment. We'll be paying attention to some of those, bring up some of the topics you guys want to discuss. And we always love hearing where people are watching from. So with your question, if you can go and throw in there where you're watching the show from, that would be awesome. So as we let some people start rolling those questions in, just, uh, I mean, tale of two halves. I don't think I've seen a game in a long time that was more that than any other game in a We've bit. We've had a few of those. We have year. a few of those, but man, this one, this was a stark contrast. I would say it's a tale of two halves if you cut the game in half between the moment that we were trying to punt the ball away and Taysom Hill came in and blocked it and everything thereafter because that was clearly the turning point. It felt like the turning point at the time. We were hoping against hope that it would not be, uh, but that was it. Until that point, the Buccaneers had allowed the Saints offense 118 yards of offense, and this was at the 725 mark in the third quarter. So the, the defense was dominating. But after that, not only did you give them a short field, which led to a score, but then a, a litany of errors every single time we got the ball after there and didn't commit any turnovers until the last pass of the game, which was essentially meaningless. But we kept getting penalties and mistake plays and getting behind the sticks, and, and instead of – uh, punting, if we had to punt, instead of punting from 30 and pushing them back to their 25, we're punting from the nine and they're getting the ball back at midfield. And, and this happened three or four times in a row. And then the defense, I think, just kind of ran out of gas. So right. it all snowballed from there. And that's that's not an excuse. That's a description of what happened. Um, it's, you know, sometimes those, thing, those games turn like that and you just can't get it back. And I, I don't know the reason for that, but it was – it was disappointing for sure. That's true. We already got some people rolling in watching from Shreveport, uh, Texas, which I always got to give the shout out to Texas. I uh, thought Shreveport was in Louisiana. Uh, I, those are two separate. Sorry. Shreveport, more Louisiana. Than one Shreveport? No, I'm saying there was someone watching from Shreveport. Oh, okay. Someone watching from Texas. <laughs> that, uh, makes a lot more <laughs> that does. Someone watching from Panama City, uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, which is pretty great. How's Panama um, City doing these days? Uh, yeah, that's a great question for Kenneth, who's watching there. Hope everybody's safe and, and doing okay there. Uh, Russ from Virginia had asked, did Dirk call the plays for the offense against the Saints? I believe that after that one game, he gave it back to Munkin and it stayed that way. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's what I'd heard as I well. I didn't yeah. really see an enormous difference in the, in the changing of, of play calling. That was the Washington game, right, I think? Yes. Dirk. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and I guess everybody would like to pin – the red zone problems on the play calling, but it wasn't the play calling, it was execution. And right. Otherwise, until this last game, we continue to pile up the yards and, and for most most games, points as well. So I don't think it's been – everybody makes a big issue out of that. Right. I don't think it's that big of an issue. Okay, and uh, Jacob from Ohio wants to know what's going on with Deshaun Jackson and if we have any updates on that. Well, he's missed the last two games because of a thumb injury, but I'm sure he probably already knew that. And as we have to say every Tuesday when we do this show, we don't have an update on the new week until after practice on Wednesday. So we'll see. Uh, Philip from California wants, uh, he says, Carl Nassib is my favorite pickup this oh, year. Yeah. What's his contract status? And he said, never heard of the guy before this, but he's a beast. That is kind of incredible because I just answered that question. I haven't posted yet. Answered that question in the mailbag I'm writing today. That exact question, what's his contract status? Perfect. Next year? And it wasn't him. Right? It, was a, it was a different person. That's so funny. So I'm ready. I'm prepared for this Well, question. look at that. We'll hit it. Let's you know, go. how we got Carl was a waiver claim, and that's significant because, as probably most of these people know, when you uh, claim a player off of waivers, uh, you also are awarded what's, whatever's remaining of his contract. And uh, Carl was a third-round draft pick in 2016, and that means he, like everybody in that draft, 
after the second round would get a four-year contract. So this is the third year of that contract and it extends through 2019. And obviously as a third round pick, we're talking about a relatively modest contract by standard, by veteran standards. So uh, a very affordable and obviously very productive player that is still under contract through 2019, which is really great because it's becoming a little hard to understand why Cleveland let him go. He was a third-round pick who had been relatively productive. He had like two and a half sacks one year and three the other. And, you know, I guess they must have just felt with the, the, all the guys they drafted in the last couple of years that they had, what, five def- defensive ends that were better? Uh, but we certainly didn't uh, because he's been incredibly productive. And not just productive, but Dirk Cutter raves about his style of play all the time and his relentlessness. And we have not had this kind of – pressure of both edges, this bookend pass rush off the edges since 2005 with Simeon Rice and Greg Spires. So it's something we've been looking for for a long time, and I understand why that guy's a big fan. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I love this. Richard is watching from Kent in England, okay, which is pretty cool. There's a lot of fans over there at Blue Box. Uh, yeah, we do have the big UK fan base yeah. over there. Uh, TJ said, will Winston get his money and start next year? Yeah, I would say so. Now, the money that we're talking about next year is the fifth-year option, so the only way that wouldn't happen is if the Bucks decided that they have decided for sure that this is not the long-term option and they don't want to spend that money next year because it's only guaranteed for injury. So the, even though the Bucks have picked up that option, they don't actually – they still could cut Jameis and, and then be – you know, not be on the hook for that salary. I wonder if this person is asking about um, the long-term. Is he, is he going to get paid? Is he going to get a new contract? You know, the way things have gone this year and the up-and-down nature of everything, you wonder if a team might be more uh, likely to go ahead and go into that fifth-year option. Because a lot of times in this situation, if both the player and the team want this relationship to last longer than that fifth year, they get something done before the end or even sometimes before the beginning of the fifth-year option because that's the perfect window to do something, right, instead of waiting until your backs are up against the wall. Maybe considering the situation here, you actually do go into that fifth year a little bit before you make your final decision on moving forward. Okay. And a lot uh, still to be said on that one, though. Right, for sure. Um, Dwayne wants to know uh, what you feel like was up with the O-line's performance. You know, I, one – in terms of the pressure, we, we should recognize that New Orleans has been doing this to everybody. They've mm-hmm. got the most sacks in the league since week seven. They've really been doing a great job of rushing the passer. So sometimes you just got to tip your hat, as the players always say, to talented players on the other side. But, yeah, I don't think that was their best game ever, and, and I can't give you a reason why they didn't have their best game ever. Um, you know, who knows? You just Sometimes you have a bad game, and maybe the conditions had something to do with that, the, the field conditions. But uh, I don't really have a good answer for why the offensive line struggled in that game. Great. Uh, Tony wants to know if Quan's contract extension is still being discussed. He says he hasn't heard anything since Quan got hurt. Well, you're not going to hear anything. I mean, until it's done or almost done and stuff leaks out, you're not going to hear anything. So if it's been discussed, it's been discussed behind closed doors with, uh, you know, Jason and his people and, and Quan's agent. But I hope so, you know. Uh, this is not an injury that – you know, his career ending or anything, you, you presume that Quan Alexander starting next year is going to be the Quan Alexander that we know and love. So I certainly hope that that is the case. Everybody said when he got hurt, obviously it was bad timing for him. But yeah, I think he's true. put enough body of evidence out there for us or another team that's interested in him to believe that they're getting a, a real high-quality player. Uh, okay, and next we had um, – Brandon from Sarasota said, are we comfortable with our current kicker? The missed kicks last game hurts. And, I mean, he'd been perfect up until this last game. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on what this means overall for 
just well, his, the level of his kicker. I would say one one bad game, or in this case, two bad kicks, um, isn't enough to make you lose confidence in a kicker. That said, have we had enough evidence on the other side yet to be totally confident? There's just too small of a sample size here. Like, you know, let's take Green Bay's Mason Crosby. Like, what was that, three, four, five weeks ago, he, he just had a meltdown game and missed, like, five field goals, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the Packers didn't give up on Mason Crosby uh, because they have plenty of evidence that he's been good, and so that's just one bad game. And since then, he's been pretty good again. He just he had one really bad game. We'll have to see if that's the case with Cairo. Do we know him well enough to know for sure? I mean, I thought he looked fantastic up into that game, and he's made every extra point, which is important these days. So I would tend to lean towards the side of he had one bad game or two bad kicks, but it's not enough to make you lose confidence. And the field was not in perfect condition True. with the rain, and we saw that, you know, with the Steelers yeah, well, kicker. Worse, and, you know, yeah. like, I mean, that footing matters, that really with kicking it's it's about inches, and if your footing mm-hmm. isn't perfect, that can really mess you up. I, I mean, suppose. I don't know if that was anything with Cairo, right. but that is something to think about when, again, you want to kind of give the benefit of the doubt when it was multiple perfect games before yeah. missing a couple. And, and all of his kicks – prior to this game seemed to be just right down the middle right now this one he hits the right upright so like you said if he's just off by just a little bit that's all the difference yeah uh dennis said he thought that uh, the defensive coordinator has done a great job with the players on the back seven so i wanted to hear your thoughts on in terms of the secondary linebacker core we talked a lot about recently the defensive Mm -hmm. line and their increase in in pass rush but what have you seen in terms of linebackers and secondary i'm sure he's talking about i mean we should say he's talking about mark duffner Mm -hmm. because he didn't say the name defensive coordinator since week seven i think it was the cleveland game and the bucks defense overall with some exceptions has been better overall since that time but yeah in the last couple games i think what you'd have to say and it's probably what this person is saying is that he's doing a great job having to cobble together different lineups virtually every single week did you did you know that we have started a different starting 11 on defense every single game so far we don't have the same starting 11 for any two games the entire year that's what they've had to go through so you're using guys like josh shaw who was only you know he he's basically our or was this last game our starting safety next to Jordan Whitehead whenever Andrew Adams goes into that dime package. And he, was on, he wasn't on the team like three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, they've made good use of Devonta Harris. They've had to play Adarius Taylor in several different spots, including several different right. spots in that same game. Yeah, I would say it's, a, it's a, um, a compliment to Mark Duffner and the other assistant coaches that they have been able to be, you know, they held Drew Brees and company to under 300 yards. Uh, that's really good. And, and to get those kind of results when you're constantly changing the lineup, I think that's impressive. Uh, Rich- I think that's what they were saying. Right, I think I'm just yeah. kind of agreeing with them. Here. Right, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Richard said, when the Saints were bringing so much pressure, why didn't we adapt and run more slants or screens, basically anything that got the ball out of Jameis's hands more quickly? Everybody always says that, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever whenever there's uh, a lot of sacks, why don't we throw more screens? Um, for one thing, I don't think we're a big screen team. You know, I don't think that's a big part of our playbook. Uh, you can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Obviously, we have a lot of guys who can do well with slants, but you know, we have a certain style of offense, and it's worked very well for us. And even in a game where you are giving up a lot of pressure, that doesn't mean you completely get away from what your strengths are. And also, if I'm not mistaken, they were getting a lot of these pressures with a four-man rush. It wasn't a ton of blitzing. They bring five and play aggressive man coverage, but they do that a lot. So they weren't doing anything particularly different than what you're used to seeing. So if you see them blitzing six and seven every time, then, yeah, obviously now you're, you're, you're adapting and throwing 
screens and quick slants, but when it's the same defense you're used to and you have succeeded against that defense before, it's reasonable to think that we can this play we got right here queued up is going to work. Right. Yeah, that's very true. Um, Brian, from another person from the UK, which is pretty cool, um, was talking about the idea of, again, the difference in the first half and the second half of that game. And he was trying to say, he, he phrased it as who is to blame for the second half. And overall, I think that it's just interesting, this game of how there were so many different elements of all three sides. But for you, what, we talked about the turning point being the blocked punt in a lot of ways. But what did it seem like kind of started after that? What yeah. was so different about the first the, half and the performances? The, the, what snowballed it afterwards was all the penalties on the offensive line, the, uh, the holding penalties and the procedural penalties. And, you know, uh, even Ryan Jensen got a, um, although that might have been before that, but he got a, a personal foul call. Uh, I think that was the, the actions that led to that, the momentum continuing to swing the other way and us never getting back into it. But in terms of the, the phrase you use, like who's to blame for that, that's, that's a topic that Coach Cutter addressed on Monday. And, and I'll tell you what, Dirk's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, if there was one or two guys that really messed everything up, I don't, I'm not saying you throw him under the bus, but he's a straightforward guy. Mm -hmm. And he made a point of saying, in, in this case, everybody wants to blame the O-line. Everybody wants to blame the quarterback. And they certainly had their problems. I thought Jameis was less accurate than usual. And maybe that was because of a wet ball. I don't know. But um, but he said, really, this was not – this was like the the entire offense did terrible. Everybody was messing up. So he, didn't, he, he thought it was a blame that should be shared rather than pointing fingers at anybody in particular. Right, which is a great point. Um, so now – Basically, looking forward to this game against the Ravens, their team that is still very much, you know, in in the hunt, and and they've got Lamar Jackson now a little bit different look than at the beginning of the season. What do you feel like this is going to bring? You know, very different team than the Saints and the and the way they operated. So, how do you feel like looking at this game? What are the odds that the, the Bucks can put the complete game together again that they had a couple in a row? Mm. Saints came in and kind of ruined that party for us right. a little bit. So putting together that complete game again where you are still you know, protecting the ball, forcing turnovers, mm -hmm. what are the odds that this can be that game again? Well, you could say that they had that for two and a half games. I mean, you know, because the first half of the last game was pretty good. And so if you want to say recent results give you confidence that you can do it again, I would say on the flip side of that, the Buccaneers haven't really put together a complete game on the road yet and we did we did win that game in new orleans but that was all just an offensive explosion right the defense barely held on at the end um you know 50 50 <laughs> you know <laughs> you want to go with the current you with the the recent track record and be very optimistic but you have to look at the season as a whole and the bucks haven't put complete games together very often this year um certainly capable of doing so and and as an optimist and a, a person rooting for the bucks i'm going to say yeah they're going to do it but i can understand you know, the in, the being a bit skeptical until you see it. Okay, uh, and we'll close on this one. Um, Ed wants to know how the team morale is. Well, we haven't seen them yet, other than briefly in the locker room on Monday. I can tell you before the Saints game, and you can tell me if you agree because you're in there too. It seemed still quite good. Um, we'll see how this week unfolds. I don't think this is a team of guys that are going to pack it in, and and, and honestly. They don't have to talk about it uh, specifically. They can just talk about the next game. But I know it sounds silly, but the playoffs are still not out of the question uh, because of everything else that went right in this past week. And I'm not going to push that. I'm not going to tell anybody to believe if they don't want to believe. But you still have something to fight for. And if, if there's anything that Coach Cutter has very consistently said the same thing to all year, because this question gets asked all the time in different situations, is that 
he's very happy with the, the, how hard this team works and the effort that they put in and their attitude. So he told me that just last week in our quarterly interview that that part of it hasn't been a problem. So I don't see a sudden loss of morale being a problem for these last three games. I don't think that's going to be an issue. Okay, well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks, as always, for being with us. Thanks for all those questions. And we'll see you right back here next week.